Welcome to the No Ideas Original Podcast featuring Shannon and Mr. Rob. How you doing, Rob? You enjoying your Friday? Yes, sir, man. It is Friday again, and I'm always looking forward to the weekend. Um, feeling great, man. How about yourself? I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know why I'm excited? Because tomorrow we get to go to that, to that brunch. Oh, yes. Yeah. Shout out to, to uh, Paul. With, ba- with baby Paul. But, you know, today's show to me is, is it's a special show because it's a topic that I'm very interested in. And also because we have the opportunity of having Miss Jalisa Edwards on. And Jalisa, you know, and I had an opportunity to work together as colleagues some time ago. Um, in another life, I was a director at a social service agency providing services to um, to kids and parents. You know, we had an evidence-based program that we both worked in where we were trying to prevent kids from going to foster care. And another side of that program was actually reuniting kids with their parents. And, you know, I met Jaleesa at the start of her career. Um, well, start of, I guess, uh, her clinical career. And I had an opportunity. I've had an opportunity to see her gl- grow as a clinician. Um, so I'm very, very pleased to bring on our guest today, Jaleesa Edwards, Mindset Coach. Hi, Jaleesa. Good to see you. How are you guys? Great to see well, you. Well, great to see you also. Let's get right into it. So um, tell us a little bit about your clinical background and what made you decide to become a Mindset Coach. Yeah, yeah. So um, when you were giving that introduction, John, I was just like, damn, like that was such a long time ago. And like hearing all those like words, those like fancy clinical words, I'm like, damn, like that was like ages ago. Um, But beautiful, you know, I thank all of my opportunities that have led me here today. So a little bit about me. um, Yeah, so I went to school, got my master's in um, mental health counseling, became a licensed psychotherapist, and I practiced all the way until now. Um, Somewhere throughout my journey, I found out that um, what I was doing in my sessions was a lot more coaching than, than clinical therapy. And I'll go into the differences in a little bit. And um, when I learned more about coaching, I was like, yeah, this is me. Like, this is what I love to do. I love to hold people accountable. I like to push them. I have a very sport, um, uh, very much competitive mentality that I love within, you know, I'm so like competitive within myself and I love to push others. And that's more what coaching is in a sense of, um, you know, like pushing others to their greatest lengths. Not that there is not, um, but therapy has a slower approach, rightfully so, to help us heal and really like understand our traumas and things of that sort. Where coaching, you do that just at a little bit of a faster pace for those that are that I assess and can be held to that level or that pace of um, healing, recognition, and being able to move forward from those things. So um, yeah, I when I learned about coaching and then online coaching was such a blessing for me and my family. I was like, hell yeah, I want to do online coaching. I get to have clients all over the world, which like I literally have clients all over the US, even some clients in Asia. And um, yeah, it's great. It's beautiful what like Instagram can do, right? And so um, I knew that this was the way for me, especially with the pandemic. That was really the birth right. of the business. Um, everything was online anyway. So I was like, let's give this a shot. And um, I had success and I was like, let's do it. Let's keep doing this online thing. And it's opened the world to so many, you know, beautiful opportunities for me. So that's a little bit about my journey and um, where I, how I am today. Yeah. So what, what is it? Uh, what's a day like for a psychotherapist? Yeah. So I'll say a traditional psychotherapist, like I used to be, would be, you know, you have your nine to five or whatever your business hours are, and you're pretty much seeing clients back to back. 
Um, a normal workday for me would be seeing seven to eight clients back to back. That's my eight hour workday. Um, and then by the end, you know, you're depending on who you are, like you're, you're dream, you know, from helping so many people back to back. And um, you do that like four to five times a week, <laughs> you that's know, that's draining mentally too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, when I always, when I talk to therapists that want to transition into the coaching world, for me, what coaching has offered me is that I have all my skill sets of being a therapist. I know I'm very clinically trained in trauma and, you know, all the diagnoses and everything that you need to know. But now with coaching, I get to use all of that, you know, expertise and acknowledgement and use it in a way that can really help someone who's in a mental state to move forward, um, really excel their way in a healing journey because they're, they're in a good place to do so. Right. right? And so um, there's all the psychoed in there and coaching really focuses more on present and future where um therapy is past present mm -hmm. and future okay yeah so what 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 is the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and how do you get a client to shift from yeah. fixed to growth love that love that um, okay, so a fixed mindset, I always say, is very much closed. Um, there's not much room for growth. You're, it's like black or white thinking, like it's one way, and that's that's all that I can fathom or think of. Um, an example of this would be like, you know, I could never be an entrepreneur. That's right. not for me. You know, I don't think that I could ever, you know, see myself living in that way. I need a secure paycheck, you know, every week or bi-weekly, whatever may have you, to live a stable lifestyle. There's no, like, there's no way that I could just be entrepreneur a growth mindset um will take a challenge and and look for opportunities to grow and to see how this is feasible um you know anything in life truly is feasible you know where there's a will there's a way 100 believe that like with all my heart so that is a growth mindset like you're looking for um opportunity and solution um, I also correlate, you know, the term growth mindset to solution focused mindset, mm -hmm. right? Where you're, you know, that there's an answer. It may take some time, but you're willing to try again and again and again until we get there. And so the second part to your question, you know, how do I get the transition? Um, fixed mindsets usually are formulated by experiences that we've had. So take it off entrepreneurship. Let's just say we're dating and we're in relationships and that's like the trouble that we're having, right? If you're someone who has tried time and time again to have a successful relationship and maybe you've gotten cheated on many times or just have had bad experiences, your fixed mindset is going to be something along the lines of like, I'm not good enough or I only attract bad men, bad women, whatever may have you, or um i always use the one like men men ain't beef you know if you're someone that has like met men time and time again who aren't what you deem to be what you wanted right it's just like this is just the way it is and there's nothing different from that and so i also teach my students and my clients a lot about law of attraction the laws of the universe and when you say things like that over and over again you're literally attracting them to you so if you keep saying Sorry. something like, Man, can I curse on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, you can. Okay, I don't just, I want to be like respectful. <laughs> but, you, know, <laughs> you know, if you're saying things like, you know, this is, this is the way that men are, blah, blah, whatever. Let's say you're a heterosexual woman. Understand that like you're going, the mind, if I say something like, you know, um, my, you know, I never have enough money at the end of my paycheck. Every paycheck that you get, you're going to find out that you never have enough money. money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And if you start thinking about your paycheck as like, you know, I'm making smart choices and I'm, and I'm 
I'm lowering my expenses so that my paycheck is able to cover all that I need and more. Little by little, you will start cutting things out that you don't need and allow that paycheck to, to uh, pay for what is necessary, um, right? It's just a matter of how we view things. So um, to the first, sorry, the second part of your question, how do I get them to transition? Looking at their traumas. What what experiences shifted your perspective of the world that allowed you to think way, and that's really what's what it, what it's about learning more about yourself and what caused these these shifts to happen for you. Yeah, you know one of the one of the, one of the things that I think that um that sometimes people struggle with in terms of making a shift from fix to growth is that for some people growth is tangible, like they can they can move along with whatever that process is. But for others, growth seems to be like this this abstract concept, you know. So how do you, I guess how do you how do you help people who may see growth as an abstract concept quantify what growth actually looks like? Yeah. So can you give me an, a concrete example so I can give you a, like a direct response? Meaning that you know um, you're working with a client and you've seen a client move along throughout their journey and get to another place. But that client is still is still stuck because they don't see tangible right. growth. You know, mm -hmm. like there are some people that for them in, in the world of solution focus, you know, I don't have a job. Well, you know, I apply for a job, you know, so that's tangible. That's yes. something to quantify and measure. But for some people, yes. it's like they only see the and yeah, they can't because yeah. they can't tang they can't touch it, they can't feel it, you know, yeah. they can't relate to the actual growth, the inner growth. Yes, 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 yes. So my first notion would be to allow them to see their their areas of growth on paper. So like, hey, when you first started working with me, you know, you've made these these steps. Let's let's use your example of like um, someone wanting to have, let's say, a higher salary or more income come their way, right? And so they've made efforts to apply to jobs and um, maybe do a side hustle, but no money has actually come in yet. So they're like, this isn't working. Right. But in reality, it's like, look how many people you reached out to telling them about your business. Look how many, look how many times you've applied for jobs and look at all the experience you're getting so that when the right one comes along, you're so ready to have an amazing interview with your potential new employer. Right. And so if even at that point, which happens all the time, if they're still not able to see like, yeah, but like, you know, some people are, when we're heavy in our depression or just heavy in our trauma or just have like a negative mindset, it's just like, yeah, but this isn't working. Like, and we tend to give up, right? And so um, at that point, you really, really have to dig deeper. And it's, it's not about your goal that you think that you're trying to go for. Something deeper, just for example, might be like, it's never gonna be enough. Mm, right, coming to that realization. Coming into that realization of like, let's dig deeper here, right? Because we, what I find in traditional therapy is that we sometimes can spend a lot of time, um, let's say they come in, I'm like, I have, you know, I have anxiety. It's like, okay, cool. Let's talk about it. And so they're like, I'm anxious about being on time for things. I'm anxious about my son, you know, being good in school. I'm anxious about, and so they, they have like all these like little fires of what they're anxious about. Mm -hmm. um, and in traditional therapy, which is nothing wrong with this, but some clinicians will go the route of like, let's, let's, um, heal all these mini fires and for me in coaching what i like to do is like skip all these fires because they're going to keep popping up because it, it's, mm -hmm. it's stemming from something much deeper than this mm -hmm. right and so if we dig deeper it's like okay what are you really worried about oh you know what right. I, I don't feel safe right. okay 
if we could if we could pull that trauma out then you wouldn't be worried about your son yeah. so you, you know so for me you know helping that person from the you know growth fix of not seeing enough in what they're doing it's like well this really isn't about your job you don't find yourself worthy um right, right? you're not able to see the the growth that you're having you're not able to give yourself a pat on the back like what's up with that Mm, right. The encouragement, the self-encouragement you should be giving to yourself. Listening to what you said and the question that Shanar asked about tangibility. But one of the intangible things I believe that stops most people is fear. How do you get people to deal with fear um, as a reality more than it just being a thought? Because some people take, people don't really pay attention to fear until they're scared. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? But usually fears around them all the time. Like you said, when it comes to taking a risk or stepping out of your comfort zone, you know, people look at failure as the as the prerequisite of even attempting. I'm gonna fail like that. Somebody's gonna try. So how, how do you how do you get your 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 classes or your clients to deal with their personal fear? Yeah, this is a big one for all areas of life. But I, you know, I also have a class of like young entrepreneurs who are trying to make it in the online world. And this is like the first lesson I teach them. Um, fear, you, you need to expect fear. Um, if you don't expect fear, like you're not trying hard enough to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Right? Like if you're not in an, in an area of- Uncomfortable uh, setting. Uncomfortable setting, then you're not growing or expanding right um and so anxiety and or fear you know it's it's an it's it's a contraction uh for an opportunity for expansion right because when we're fearful we tend to shrink which is okay <laughs> you know we tend to want to hide or we tend to want to like not show ourselves or not believe in ourselves and like just not even try right that's a contraction you're going inward um and when you stay and you ride out that wave there's so much room for grand expansion right so i always tell my entrepreneurs or anyone who's experiencing fear in their life it's just like hey if you want to grow when that fear comes welcome it with open arms because you're going to level the f up if you write it out yeah right so, yeah so i'm like welcome the fear if you're not in fear something's up we're not we're not we're not stretching ourselves <laughs> yeah that's a good point that's a great point because you know i try to tell the children this all the time face your fears man go into it with just a crazy mindset like i got this even if you know you don't at least trick yourself to, to believe in that you have because yeah. a lot of times it's, it's what you think about that's that's giving you the precursor of what's about to happen. So if you're thinking failure, failure is going to show up. And I tell this to my wife too. Anything you think about is going to come. So be careful what you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. We talk about the laws of attraction and principles. Yep. And one, of the, one of the great books that I like to read, I don't know if you're familiar with it, is Hermetic Science. And it talks about the seven principles of Hermetic Science. And they're just natural laws. Mm -hmm. Vibration, the polarity, the cause and effect. These are things we deal with every day, like gravity. Yep. We don't pay attention to them. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? We don't pay attention to the words we use and expect that some words is going to follow us back. Let me ask you this, though, while I'm on it. Um, I have my question. Sorry. Pardon me. Af affirmations. That's what, that's what you're talking about, Rob. Makes me think about af affirmations. Affirmation. Like, I feel that there are a lot of people that have um, become comfortable with affirmations, you know, and realize the power of positive affirmations. But for some reason, I don't think that they grasp mm -hmm. the power of negative self-talk 
and right. how negative self-talk it just is what rob was saying how negative self-talk kind of helps lead to a self-fulfilling prophecy you know mm -hmm. how do you get a client to kind of be able to make that connection that you know yes positive affirmations are very important but if you know if you engage in negative self-talk then you get the same you're, result. you're diminishing all of the, the great positive affirmations you put into the universe yeah yeah i always tell my clients there was like a study done in 2004 so very very long time ago um and it was stating how we have a minimum of 60,000 thoughts a day that's a lot of thoughts um and uh stop thinking about that for a second <laughs> that's a lot of thoughts not and 10 not 30 not a hundred not even 500 like 60,000 I mean it's quite insane and so when you think you know and I always bring up that the study was done in 04 because if you think about it I if they were to read you the study I'm sure we're at a much higher number these days absolutely mm -hmm. which you which is decreasing our attention span and how we pay attention to stuff so now we got the ADD and the yeah. ADHD when we really need to just know how to quiet our mind how to slow things down and yeah. not be on this this proverbial uh hamster on the wheel race mm -hmm. going in the same place at the same time absolutely absolutely yeah so i mean we're, we're definitely past sixty thousand thoughts a day um, um he said i know i surpassed yeah yes yeah. <laughs> i mean i do too like literally we all do right and so um shanon remind me what was your question oh just in oh, terms yes the affirmation so you know i always tell my 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 clients my students like you know if if you're giving energy to maybe five affirmations a day it's like cool <laughs> a for effort but like compared to the 60k thoughts that we have it's like you're gonna have to do a lot more than that <laughs> right you're gonna have to do a lot more than that, to be quite honest and i love affirmations affirmations will definitely work um but they take time and dedication right like for you to truly ingrain um those thoughts uh or those beliefs into your mind and so a trick that i usually tell my clients is that if you say something like you know i am strong i am beautiful i am resilient you know and they kind of roll off your tongue it's usually a, a sign that like you're good in that area if, they, if it rolls off your tongue you pretty much believe it mm -hmm. um say something that is not so easy to say out loud it's like that's what you have to work on mm -hmm. for example right one that people usually trip up on is like i'm going to be a millionaire next year if you can't fathom that or believe can't that, feel that right you have hesitation saying that right and so i i just use a money one because that's usually when i get people's attention but it could be with anything if you struggle with saying i am beautiful if you struggle with saying you know i'm a great worker or a great husband a great wife whatever may have you a great mother a great father if, right. if it's hesitant um it's like that's the one that you have to work In terms of um, trauma, though, how do you feel? How do you think trauma contributes to a fixed mindset? Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred um, so much. It, it's so. I always make it clear, like trauma doesn't ha doesn't mean that you're like that you have PTSD, which is like what people usually go to. Like trauma, there's little trauma and big trauma, right? Like you can have instances in your life that have simply caused a ripple effect in the way that you perceive the world, oh. right? And so um, that could be a little trauma, right? And so um, it doesn't have to be this exasperating event that like changed everything. It could be little things that happened usually in your childhood, right? Yeah. And so um, trauma, you know, slash life experience 
experiences, they most definitely shape the way that you perceive the world. Um, and everybody's different. So if you, you grew up in a house and you have siblings and the way that your parents' relationship affected you may be completely different for your brother or sister, right? And so what healing, you know, what coaching or therapy really is, is taking the time to just sit with sit with what's happened and figure out who you are and what are your beliefs about self and the world around you. Right. Right. I was going to ask that. Um, the perception of the world and how that fashions your mindset. Mm-hmm. It's just like the old saying, you're a product of the environment you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be, you could be the coolest kid, the best respectful kid, but if you live in a hostile environment, some point that hostility is gonna come out of your little cool behind. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're gonna you're gonna react that way because it's been around you. And my in my in, in, in my case personally, I remember as a kid, my mother always shut me down. Shut me down, shut me shut, shut me down. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, I made an affirmation to myself. I said, when I'm 19, ain't nobody gonna tell me what to say. <laughs> <laughs> And from that day on, I've been running my mouth too. I had to learn. All right, bro, take it down. Take it down. <laughs> Need your point. Yeah. But your environment and your perception of the world has a very big catalyst to your mindset. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to use your example. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so yeah, so let's just say like, you know, your mom would always like, you know, turn you down or whatever may have you. And so you had it in your mind that like, you know, once I'm 19, like no one's going to tell me anything, right? Like I'm going to be able to like say what's on my mind or whatever, whatever, whatever was crossing your mind. And so that is an example of like cause and effect, right? Um, for somebody else, it could have made them like mute for lack of better words. Like, it could have made them like lose their identity or lose their voice. And for you, it was like a thing of like, no, I'm going to fight back, you know, once I'm 19, right? Or I'm going to vo- vocalize my needs or no one's going to get in my way once I'm 19. And so that was, I would, you know, deem positive. Um, but at the same time, perhaps I'm just taking a stab at it here. Perhaps while you were in your like adolescence and growing up, you know, becoming a man, maybe that made you very defensive. If anyone tried to shut you down, because you like right. in your mind, I got like, something to say. You're not going to tell me I can't say something. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So that's a perfect example of like how your past determines how you view yourself and the world around you. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Talk a little bit about the importance of mindfulness and being present. Yeah. Um. So important, and I think that like. People really don't understand the 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 grand importance of being present, right? Or even understand like how do you do that? Um, you know, like to, to, for, like talking to my mom, like she, you know, we'll try and like we'll do like a meditation. I'm trying to get her in the wave of like this, like you know, healing and all the things and just being still. And um, it's so hard for me too. My beginning journey was the same thing. It's so hard for someone who's used to going, 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 going to mm-hmm. sit still, right? right? yeah it's really hard and the reason so is it's just become comfortability because it's your familiarity right if all i'm used to is moving moving all the time sitting still is like the complete opposite and our ego is like what is going on (laughs) why are you doing this like why are we slowing down and so even though it's not a negative thing the brain doesn't know whether it's good or bad it just knows that it's different indifferent and scary Right, when we loop that back into fear, what we just spoken about, we want to do different things to be successful. <laughs> That's why we say, like, expect the fear because you're doing something right, 
right? And so um, because we're so used to the, the norm or familiarity, like anything new is very scary for us. So standing still for a lot of us, myself including in the beginning of my healing journey was like, ah, I cannot do this. I can't meditate. I can't close my eyes for five minutes and do nothing. Like I'm thinking about tasks, what I have to do about anything but being still, right? And that alone is enough. That alone is just the awareness of like, I'm having a really hard time sitting still. Self-awareness. Self-awareness, right? That alone can tell you like, what the hell do I think about in a matter of five minutes? Look how many thoughts I'm having. Look how hard it is to, to be present and focus on my breath once again. Or whatever form of meditation you do, because it's not the stereotypical like yogi stance of like just being still. Mm -hmm. You can do it while cooking. You can take a walk in nature. It's just a, a, an act of being present, right? And so what I always explain to, to my clients is that, you know, to make it simple, anxious thoughts are usually thoughts about the future and depressive thoughts are usually thoughts about the past, right? Anxious thoughts are very much like, I got to do this, gotta, or what if this happens? What if that happens? It's all future based and sad, depressive thoughts are like, oh, this thing happened in the past and like it's, it's tugging you along. We can't let go of it, right? And so what being mindful, being present does is it, it allows you to kind of like refuel your energy as if you, like we have a cup right and being present allows you to fuel up because the reality is, is that we're going to think about the past and we're going to think about the future that's just normal but the more time that we spend being mindful aka being present you'll have the proper energy to go into the future more grounded and more rational and to go into your past more rounded and more uh, rational so then we can heal and look at things from a really healthy perspective than just flipping over to either side and getting lost in the sauce of like our life. Yeah. Yeah, I was sharing, we had a, we had a guest on um, probably a couple of episodes ago and I was sharing with him one of the things that I strategically try to do when I go on vacations now is, you know, not to spend as much time on social media. You know, everybody want to get that perfect picture and everything. You know, I take some pictures, but not nearly as much as what I used to doing i think what i realized in doing that is like i was i i really wasn't experiencing the totality of the vacation because my mind was on like other things like i right, get a photo here and this that and you know all these wonderful things these opportunities to see these things that some people would probably never have an opportunity to see yeah i saw it but did i really have an opportunity to experience it you know yeah. because I, I wasn't present my mom was like right, i gotta get this picture I gotta do this and do that. So I don't know if it's come with age, with like getting a little bit older that now I kind of, like I appreciate like, I don't have nothing to do this weekend. I don't have nothing to do today. You know, let me just not do anything. But admittedly, I think not doing anything is difficult for me because a lot of people tie their self-worth to being able to do stuff. And I think also a part of actually thriving as a human being is doing stuff. You know, there are studies that say that when people retire, you know, that you still have to find a way to stay active because so much of our self-worth and who we are yeah. are connected to our activity and our output and what we do. Um, so I think that for everybody, like it's always going to be like a, a, a work in progress around stillness. But I think, like you said, like if there's some level of consciousness around it and you have the ability to slow down a little bit and actually appreciate it, you know, then you, you've made an improvement. Um, not everybody... I think a lot of people are future oriented, right? That they're always thinking about what potentially is going to happen in the future. You know, you know, mm -hmm. the potential, the potential for this to happen, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, mm -hmm. their mind is always so far ahead, you know, in the future that they don't actually appreciate right, the, 
the yeah the right now like you know you're not you there's beauty in what's happening right now but you can't see what's happening right now because all you're thinking about is what potentially could happen if I can add on to that, man, and you know, I like to think when it comes to a good mindset, I think our greatest powers are our memory and our imagination. Because those two things, although internal, and that's why, you know, one of our guests we spoke about our last guest, Dr. Uh, Ashley Wade, reading with Ashley Wade, um, I asked about introspection and going inside and, and really being accountable for how you feel and the things that have happened and I look at that as as you can go into your memory like your memory when we talk about past and future they're all right here simultaneously in your future you have that range of thought to be in your past and see it you can see yourself on that bike when you was a kid and fell off the same way you can see yourself two or three years from now, you can see that third baby coming when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Putting that in the universe. My husband hear that. You know, the, the, these, are, these, these are two great internal powers in the practice of introspection that, for me, I use to, to as a guiding post. And my question to you is, um, <clears throat> Knowing your history is a great guidepost for many people, knowing who you are, where you come from. But in many cases, that's not the case. You know, a lot of people don't know their history. Um, how much of the, how much is that is that a big part in, in, in people's development, knowing who they are and where they come from? I think it's huge. I think it's it's huge. You you know, remind me to come back because what you said was so profound about the vision, about seeing your past and future. But let me answer your question first. Um, I think it's huge to be able to. I don't like getting lost in the sauce, right? Like I don't. If we got to revisit the past to understand ourselves, but I don't like getting lost in the past to where it becomes traumatic. That's like, like all right, right. right? Um, so. I, I really enjoy helping clients dip into the past and like literally if you could like visualize me like yanking them as soon as they get lost in the sauce. It's like wow. we're just going, we're just going there just to learn but I'm not there to reiterate what happened and we spend hours talking about like like I just want you to understand and then I'm gonna pull you right back out. <coughs> we can take that information and propel you forward. That's right. Right. That's and the so. Goal. Yeah, that's the goal, right? And so um, when you said, you know, that we have the ability in this present moment to think about the past, like the bike, when we fell off the bike, and then also think about the future, it's like, yeah, that's exactly how pro profound our, um, you know, if we're talking about like spirituality, people call this like the third eye, like our, our ability to visualize past and future and how and how um, exciting that can actually be when you think about it in the terms of like, look how clearly you can remember that past. That's right. the how clearly you can project your future, right? right. We, we, and you know, if we wanna get like, you know, I love like nerdy science talk, but like, you know, time, time is not linear, right? And so if we- if, <laughs> so if we can remember that let's say we can call it dimension a dimension of when we fall off the bike and we can envision you know something happening in the future i read this book um 
Ooh, I'm gonna, I don't want to butch his name. He's an Indian author. Um, I don't want, I don't want to mess it up. So let me see if I can find it later if it comes back into my Rupak, Rupak. Um, but if if I can remember it, I will tell, I will give you the proper name. But anywho, he ha he also talks about the seven laws, and he talks about how um, if you can envision it, it's already created. Right. Right. And I'm thinking about your your podcast is called No Ideas Original. Is that what you guys mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we yeah. mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I figured, and I was like, this is like right up my alley. So yeah, so I believe that wholeheartedly, right? Like art, right? Like we see art, whether it's book or a painting or, or a podcast, like people expressing their mind and like you hear something and then it triggers so many things within you, right? So all of my thoughts have been experiences, books that I've read, studies that I've had in classrooms, right? Like no idea is my own right and so and so you know when we can think about the future the, the this author um you know he says he states that like literally if you can think it it can happen right like the first person that thought about an airplane the first person like, it was like that wasn't a thing but if you thought it it already exists because time is not linear and so if you're able to to have the thought universe god source whatever you believe in literally gave you the thought because it's already exactly happened. exactly exactly you know what's you know what's um interesting um to me you know i think about when you finish you know when you finish clinical school you know mm-hmm. and you get into the field mm-hmm. i'm thinking about like even the evidence-based model that you and i yep. are working with you know i think one of the things that was challenging for a lot <laughs> of people when you come out of clinical school is that you know you want to do was viewed as therapy you know so when you start thinking about therapy you get so roped into you know almost like what you said like all right i gotta have i need this historical context that i have to dig into you know Mm -hmm. because there's all this trauma and you know i have to do these this genogram and you know we have to examine this and we have to examine that and it's there's just so much going on that in that moment i don't know if as a new as as um a new therapist or even with us doing that program that if we appreciated the value of second order change. And what I mean by second order change in the world of um, therapy or in the world of coaching mm-hmm. is, you know, there are things that, there are interventions that you can do that don't necessarily have to do with historical stuff that can actually change yeah. the behavior patterns of people that'll give them the same exact result. Right. But, you know, I think we get so stuck as clinicians into, yeah. we have to, I don't even know if this is a word, but we say it a lot in this world, therapeize yeah, yeah. somebody. To get to look, I get it. I get it though. To get to get results, so I wonder, you know, because it took me years as a clinician to kind of get to this point that you know, do you believe that in order for a person to actually experience change, that they have to have insight, and if so, why? Do okay. So in order for someone to have change, they have to have insight. Do they have to have insight, and if so, why? Because I think about solution-focused models, Mm -hmm. right? And some solution-focused models, there's not a historical context around it. It's like, almost like what we used as an example earlier, when we were talking about a job, like, all right, so, you know, you're in therapy because you need to get a job. I haven't been able to get a job. Okay, so a solution-focused therapist intervention may be, at the end of this week, I need you to apply for four jobs yes. or whatever. There yes. is no, 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 no part of you need to have insight as to what happened in the past that led you to not be able to have a job mm-hmm. or want a job, mm-hmm. but, the, but the actual client is going to get the same result at the end of it, right? You know, yeah. unless the client came to you and was like, well, I, I need insight as to why I can never hold the job. 
yeah, yeah. So I, I, okay. what I'm circling around to is like, you know, as a therapist, like how, how yeah. have you grown to a point or have grown to a point where, you know what, insight is not necessarily needed for every intervention? Okay, so this is like a huge, this is like a huge topic within itself. So th this is the reason, and I love this conversation, this is the reason why I actually went to coaching personally, right? Because I do believe that in the clinical world, and I'm not, I love therapist therapy, like it's, it's necessary, it's, it's such a great value for individuals that can seek greatness from therapy, right? Um, sometimes what I see that clinicians get stuck in is the theoretical practices, is like the follow the one, two, threes, and you can't do anything else, right? Um, and so, you know, do we need insight? Like, yeah, like, yes. I personally think it would be more beneficial for someone to learn why they haven't been able to keep a job than to be, um, let's let's just call, cause that could be called coaching of just like, I'm gonna keep tabs on you. Just make sure that you apply to five jobs a week. Mm -hmm. That's standard coaching, right? Mm -hmm. What I love about the, I, therapeutic coaching someone like myself who has a background in clinical therapy and coaching to hold someone accountable right plus you know other theoretic practices you know you i can dive into their past to understand why they are the way they are why they haven't been able to keep a job why they haven't been able to get a job their levels of self-esteem whatever may have you and also apply to 10 jobs by the end of this week right and and them knowing themselves better having that insight maybe they were applying to the wrong jobs their whole life because they don't know who they are. They don't know what they want. Right. So maybe, you know, if we want to make spirituality into this, which is what I do all the time, maybe the universe is trying to tell you, like, this isn't for you. This is, this is why you're not getting a job. Because this isn't the type of job that you're supposed to be having. Yeah. Do you, do you believe that lack of insight comes from not knowing or not acknowledging? Right? Because we've encountered clients that have both. There are some people who it's just a blind spot for them. They just don't know. And then there are other people who for whatever reason are unwilling to acknowledge it because acknowledging it means something else. They're denial, yeah. Yeah, it could be, it depends on the person, but it could be both. It could definitely be both. You could just, you, you could have all the insight and be so hurt that you still can't move forward. Mm, great so, point, yeah. Right, and then you could have the experience of not even ever looking at your past wounds, so like you have no insight whatsoever, no acknowledgement. Yeah, and that's one, one, of the, one of the things I say, there, there's people out here that don't know that they don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That is trauma. <laughs> yeah. How do you reach that person? They don't even have a clue that they don't, there's something that they need to know. Yeah. They don't even have a clue about it. Where do you start with that? That's a challenge. Yeah. So I think our job as healers, therapists, coaches, you know, is to just listen um, and find the commonality in all in all of their little fires. Right. They'll tell you like this happened, this happened, this happened. And it's my job to be like, yeah, but this was happening every single time. You're, right. you know, you're respectfully. So I always say respectfully. So like you're the common denominator. Um, and so like um, my job is to find out what energy you're repelling, what thoughts you're repelling that, that, that are causing these things to happen to you in these, in all these little fires that are happening in your life. You know what I, you know what I, you know what I like about that? I, I kind of almost feel like, and I'm not, I don't, I don't have training in coaching, but I almost feel like the different paradigm with coaching is that most of the time people, people are seeking you out and they're coming to you for coaching. So sometimes that that demonstrates a level of openness to yeah. whatever the intervention is and the ability to challenge a client yes um you know a lot easier that's got to be a beautiful thing yeah. for people to come in and be like you know what i want to advance okay. i want to move forward you yeah. know versus somebody who comes in 
you yep. challenge whatever their belief is and they're like nah that's not the case not to say because i'm sure you encountered in coaching that there are people yeah. who still when you challenge them they're yeah. like nah yeah but hundred you hit the nail on the head 100 percent. coaching is uh, uh for me a beautiful platform because individuals are definitely more they're <clears throat> really available to look inward I do a lot of psycho ed like I also love coaching for the aspect of like let's say my Instagram page if you check out my page like there's a lot of psycho ed on there and so I'm I'm first of all I'm giving you a piece of my life you see my children on there my pets on there you see who I am as a person first um you know a wife a daughter whatever may have you and then and and I'm also a professional right and so usually with therapy that's not really allowed you're not really allowed to know about the therapist. It's supposed to be a blank slate. And for me personally, for me, that's it was if it, it started to feel very ingenuine, right? It's just like I'm just supposed to repeat back what you're saying back to me. And you, you know, you're you're giving someone your deepest, darkest secrets, your traumas, and you can't know anything about me. Like you, you don't know my political views. Like, you know, like you, you know, so it's just mm-hmm. like it's not about me. I'll make that very clear. It's not about me. But should you go on my Instagram page and you check out, you know, my energy and you're like, I really like this girl. Like, I would love for her to hold me accountable. I would love to look inward and work on my traumas with her. Mm-hmm. That alone sets up the success for healing so much greater than someone coming into a clinical practice, getting a therapist assigned to them out of random or out of availability. Mm-hmm. And like, hope this works out. Yeah. 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 No, that's great because there are a lot of people who go into therapy and don't even interview their therapist. Yeah. They don't even know that's a thing. Yeah. They don't even, they, I mean, they won't even ask their therapist, you know, what what model you trained in or right, what school you do research. They just come in and they're like, oh, okay, you the therapist. Let me just talk to you. <clears throat> or yeah. the, the other thing is that people look for commonalities thinking yes. that that's going to help in terms of engagement. Oh, you're an African American man. I'm African American. This should work out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's unfortunate. You, you, you um, have, yeah, sure. No, no, go ahead, bro. You have a number of programs I've seen on your Instagram. One, how'd you come up with the concept of mother of conscious motherhood? That's my like, it's like my baby right now. Yeah, I, I, I want to hear about that because you know, I say this before on the, on the show. When you when you teach a man, you teach an individual. When you teach a woman, when you show a woman the way, you're teaching a nation. Mm-hmm. Life comes through. There's only one way life gets here, and that's through a woman. So you want to be sure, or be or be be mindful that you know anything that you share with them, especially in that stage, she's yeah. gonna internally share that with, with 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 the child. And secondly, talk about the progress of those who have taken your course, and what does that progress look like? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I, I, I mean, I love all my programs, I really do, but this one has, like, I'm just, like, in the, ch- I'm so well Im- immersed right now in motherhood, it's, like, like all that's on my brain right now. Fresh right now. It's real fresh. Six weeks postpartum, like, it is fresh. <laughs> so, um, to talk a little bit, so, okay, so the program itself, you know, my uh, motto or slogan for that program is that when a mother heals, her entire family heals, right? Um, because, you know, if I'm, we all have trauma. Right. And so and if when a, if a mother is blinded to her trauma, is unaware of her trauma, it's so much more likely for her to pass down that trauma unknowingly. Right. And so for me, it's so vital for the mom or mom to be. I, I accept women who are looking to conceive, who are pregnant or who already have little ones. Right. And so because even in those beginning stages, if you're looking for a partner and it, or if you have a partner, like all of that is so necessary to figure out 
um, if feasible, you know, before we conceive or if you've already conceived or already have a baby, like it's all important for you to know yourself for this whole podcast of what we've been talking about thus far. It, it implies for everyone, and in, but from my opinion, for mothers especially, right? Because we, we, we're completely influencing these little ones' lives, right? The fathers too, don't get me wrong, fathers play a vital, a vital role. Um, but understand that the woman chooses their partner. The, the, a man can choose his wife and his, you know, but we are the ones who conceive, we are the ones who carry, we are the ones who are passing all this information onto baby, right? And we chose our partners <laughs> or, you know, or whatever may have you, right? So on a spiritual sense too, like, there's so much spirituality in, in holding and conceiving a baby, right? Like when you think about it, you we are portals, women are portals. You know, we're, we, we take life from when it's just a soul and we give it a body. Uh, that's so powerful. And like, you know, and no, no um, disrespect to men, but you guys can't do that. <laughs> right? Trust me, the process of birth is equivalent to 40 crack fractured bones. <laughs> I don't want none of that. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually, um, so we I have, I have two babies. My firstborn son was born in the hospital, but we had my baby girl Maya in the home, like right here, like in this house. Um, and all that too? Yeah, we had a doula and a midwife. It was so beautiful. Nice. Um, and she was 12, 12 pounds, two ounces, vaginal birth. Okay, she ready to go to work. <laughs> she was on a toddler, like literally half the weight of my toddler. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like everyone's like, holy crap, like how did you do that? And I was like, literally, like one, it was a lot of mindset work to be quite honest. And it was a lot of spiritual work, which is all that comes in the program that I teach. And so your mm-hmm. second question was, you know, what are the transformations look like? It depends on the mom and what she wants to work on during that time. But, you know, some of the main points in that program is to most definitely heighten your intuition um heighten your level of consciousness right to know self to know traumas to not repeat those things um and to have great communication skills for not only your partner when raising children your family when raising children like we get so many issues of like having a lot of unpopular opinions or people trying to like Put their two cents on how to raise your children right the effective right. communications of like communication boundaries all that is so necessary for the regular human being and especially for a mother mm. right and so all of that is you know taught in the program with spirituality and consciousness and some of the before and afters is you know depending on where you are in your healing journey you know i've had moms who um, were looking to conceive and their nervousness was causing so much fear that it was not allowing them to conceive Right. Energetically, right? right? Um, or or mamas who were pregnant and um, had so much nervousness about like the birth and like, am I going to be a good mom? Am I going to pass the mamas down? And having her get to a place of um, rounded security within herself, right? Which wow. makes a massive difference to when you birth the baby and when you raise the baby, like a mother who is sure of herself versus a mother who is like, panic mode all the time doubting herself that's a very very big difference yeah well i don't know if it's been patented or if it exists you need the patent motherhood informed care yeah. <laughs> and, and and if there's if you need to you need to formalize your model also so one day you could be at the ackerman institute giving an overview on on your model 
or motherhood informed yeah. care. Yeah, yeah, like full circle, right? So crazy. Yeah, yeah, I definitely got to get on that. Yeah. Can you um can you tell people what an anxiety loop is and how one goes about breaking the cycle of an anxiety loop? Yeah. Um. So anxiety loop is so most individuals work on a think feel do basis so we have a thought then we have a feeling about that thought and then we have a behavioral action or response depending on that feeling right so for example it could be um i'm trying to think give me give me a nervous thought (laughs) uh you 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 worried about a bill you gotta pay Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my thought might be, (laughs) my thought might be like, crap, I can't pay, you know, this, this month's uh, heating bill. Right. And so then my, the feeling, uh, might be, um, think, feel, do. Yeah. The feeling might be nervousness, might be self doubt, worry, whatever may have you strain, stressed. Right. And then my behavioral response could be so many things, and that's depending on the person, right? So my behavioral response could be, uh, we're going to cut back on expenses, leisure expenses, because we need money for next month, right? Or um, I'm actually going to become highly irritable and highly sensitive to anything. So I'm going to be very short and short-tempered around my loved ones because of this feeling that I have about the bill, right? Or, um, you know, I am an avoider. So I'm actually going to avoid this concept and I'm going to spend my money frivolously, right? Like the behavioral response could go so many different ways because everybody's so different in how they handle things. Um, But the anxiety loop, so that was just the think feel do us but how, how usually we process like emotions and thoughts um and so the anxiety loop is that we have this anxious thought um we have a moment of like contemplation of like what are we going to do about it most of us avoid because it's uh safe right most of us is like i don't want to deal with this thing right and so well when we're anxious we avoid and so it gives us temporarily a temporary relief um, but what ends up happening in the fourth step which is that it, the anxiety, whatever you were avoiding, comes back twofold, right? And so we just go in the cycle over and over again. Um, a simple example is like a kid who doesn't want to go to school, right? Playing like, you know, um, calling in sick. Yeah, calling in sick. And so it's like, oh my God, I didn't do my homework. Um, I'm going to call out. Cool, fine. You feel better. You have the whole day to chill and rest. And then when it comes time for it to go to school tomorrow, you're even more anxious and more stressed because you still don't you still don't have anything done, right? And the interesting um, thing about this is that most most people's coping skill around anxiety is probably avoidance. Very <laughs> Nobody wants to deal with nothing. People are so avoid. I don't want to deal with it. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but anxiety anxiety is normal for everybody to feel, and I think that some people just figured out ways to sort of manage their anxiety. You know, there's there are different levels of anxiety, of course. You know, but I, everybody has some sort of general anxiety. You know, that uh, in terms of things that they deal with. You know, like for me, one of the things is like I, I'm a pre-planner around stuff. Like you know, so I'm I'm always thinking, okay, if there's traffic, I know I want to get there on time. Maybe I should leave a little bit earlier, or yeah. this potentially could happen. So you know, I need to, I need to do this, or I need to do that. And that helps reduce my anxiety. But I only learned that later on in life. Like, you know what, this is a way for me to reduce my anxiety. There are some people who I think still haven't gotten to that point in terms of how they manage their anxiety, and then it consumes them. Yeah, you know, and I think that if you become overly consumed with anxiety, it could be paralyzing. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
like, um, you know, DSM, like straight out of like the clinical book for like diagnoses, it's usually everyone has symptoms of everything. We, you know, like we have symptoms of like depression, anxiety. It's just a matter of like how many symptoms do you have and does it interfere with your everyday life? Right. And so um, with, with your example of like, you know, thinking ahead about traffic and stuff, I always say like to take it back to mindfulness too and filling your energy up, you know, if you spend enough time being mindful and being present, you can most definitely think ahead and uh, think ahead. So the difference between someone thinking ahead and having a successful, let's say future, you know, of being able to plan things out and it, and it helping them versus planning ahead and being frantic about it, right? Mm -hmm. If I can plan ahead and be like, all right, let's say vision board, that's a big thing, right? Like 2023, I wanna have a house, like whatever may have you, right? And you're and you're listing out objectives and, and pinpoints of like, how am I gonna actually get there? That's beautiful, plan ahead. That is nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Versus um, I'm looking into the future and it's like, oh my God, like, uh, how am I gonna handle school and work? Blah, blah, blah. And so then you start, you start to think about like whatever this future thing is in a negative perspective and a very worrisome perspective. And it's like your uh, central nervous system is not calm at all, which is not allowing us to make rational decisions about how we can actually get to point, from point A to point B versus like you, Shannon, like if you're thinking about how can I decrease my worry and stress by planning ahead for this traffic, mm -hmm. that's great. Yeah. I noticed on your Instagram, you was talking, you just said something that made me think about this. You were talking about, I guess, like the anxiety that you had as a result of, I guess, like motherhood and becoming an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And you were using like almost like a concept around like the possibility of how you can have both. Whereas some people kind of get roped into it's either or. Yeah. Can you yep. speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, again, like the, pos the your potential to do anything is really based upon your mindset. 100%. Like, and I had to do so much work on that. There's still hurdles that I continuously have to get over on that concept alone, right? Like people will give you so many excuses of like, yeah, she could do it, but I can't. He could do it, but I can't. I have different circumstances, whatever may have you. And it's like, it's that mindset that's going to keep you in that predicament, right? And so a personal experience of mine was like, can I really be a full-time mom and still run a six-figure business? Like, is that feasible? Um, and the answer is yes, right? Like the difference, the difference between my firstborn son and, and my daughter now, you know, I, you, I learn and we grow as we continue on with life. With my son, I most definitely had a, a three-month period of standstill in the business which was fine. I saved up for maternity, all the things. And my mindset at that point was, okay, I'm gonna have to take care of my son. So this this has to be on pause while I do this, so that so then, then I'll come back, right? And with, my, with Maya, with this pregnancy, the mindset was, no, I can run a business and be a full-time mom. There's a world, there's a way, right? And so that concept right there was just like, well, how am I gonna do that? Like, how am I gonna continue to pay everybody in my business? How am I gonna continue, you know, while I'm not necessarily working? And, you know, there was ins and outs of that of how we made that work, but we made it work, right? And it was simply because of that shift that my business coach really helped me with, that shift in mindset of like, you can do both. There's no either or in anything in life. It can be this and that, right? As long as you have the, the capacity to be open to all possibilities. Yeah, I, I looked at your mindset, your mind reset bundle. 
Yeah. Plug yourself a little bit on that. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll give an overview. So I have three main programs, right? So I, I, I say that I'm a mindset queen for all things mental health, entrepreneurship, and motherhood. Um, those are my three areas of expertise. And so uh, mental health, because my background is being a licensed psychotherapist, that's what I used to do from nine to five for so many years. Um, entrepreneurship, because I can really help. That's my... Um, entrepreneur's mind reset, right? That's my uh, business or my program for beginner entrepreneurs who really want to just get started in the online space and they don't know where to start. They don't know how to monetize their Instagram. Like I give you a beginner's course and I help you have a success first program, first launch first program, right? And so then my uh, mind reset program was actually my original, original baby. It's what started this business completely. Um, and it was really just um, the idea and notion that, you know, like people really have to understand um, science and psychotherapy and psychology first, um, or they can be more successful when they get the science behind things and then apply it to self. Um, and the reason why I thought and believed that was because it worked with me. When I was going, when I was in graduate school and I was learning about all these different theories and concepts, you most definitely apply it to yourself. You're like, oh, that's why my family's this <laughs> like, oh my God, like that, you know? And you start to like apply these things to yourself. And I was like, if everyone had that opportunity, you could heal much faster, um, you know, because you, you're taking just black and white concepts of what it is and you get to apply it to yourself without someone telling you, like, did you know that you're this way, which can cause you to be defensive, mm. right? And so the idea of teaching somebody with the Mind Reset program is very much psychoeducational teaching someone what it is that we're experiencing, what's trauma, what's anxiety, what's depression, all those things, what's, what's a father wound, what's a mother wound, all of those things, right? And then um, then the second half of the program is taking all that information and really sitting with you, the person, um, and exploring like how those things have come up in your life and what have you been blinded to and how can we how can we surpass those things and, and become more resilient. Can you um can you speak a little bit about psychoeducation? Like give people almost like a not a formal but an overview of what psychoeducation is because I think psychoeducation to me is one of the most underrated interventions in counseling that people don't people don't give enough credit to probably because it's not as attractive as some of the other interventions. But yeah. psychoeducation is pivotal. So can you speak a little bit about psychoeducation? Yeah, so important. So like um you know to put it when I was working my nine to five, I found myself having to tell people that were in certain stages of healing the same thing, like a broken, like I was like a broken record. And it was like, if people had the psychoeducation, which is simply education about psychology, like literally, right? If people, if people had this prior to coming to see me, if they watched a video of like what anxiety is, if they watch, they, they could make their own assumptions and then me as a clinical expert could guide them as to how this is uh, interfering in their lives or being impacted in their lives. Um, because what I find myself doing a lot in the traditional therapy was like, hey, someone's coming in for anxiety and I had to teach them what's anxiety, I had to teach them, you know, like what's black and white thinking, which is a concept of anxiety, right? I had to teach them all these things. And I was like, if I could just have a class, a prerequisite class, before you come see me, we could, the healing could happen so much faster, right? And so that's what psychoeducation is. Like, it's just learning these concepts um, about, about, you know, psychology and the mind and the psyche and the ego, all those things, right? Um, and so, yeah, again, like, that's literally what Mind Reset is. It's the education and then we heal. Mm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate also about treatment, like in the, in, in the year I've been involved with it, the evolution of it 
right like you think about like for some people some people still believe treatment means that you go in and you you lay on a couch and you talk to a therapist there's some people who don't know the difference between a therapist um a clinician a psychologist and a psychiatrist oh yeah yeah there are a lot of people who just who just don't know they think they're all the same the difference yeah Mm -hmm. but the evolution of treatment like you know there was a time where there was no digital sessions going on you know and this was even pre pre pre-pandemic i think we were already moving in the direction of telehealth services and things like that like even if you think back to when we were doing evidence-based programming there was that component that people was like wait a minute i'm doing family therapy virtually over a zoom type platform and couldn't grasp how that still could be a powerful intervention to hold a family session in an online platform you know so i just sometimes i think about like where's treatment going to be 20 years from now like what's interventions gonna is there gonna be car therapy (laughs) where you in a car with your therapist and like yo if you probably even think back like 20 years ago it wasn't acceptable to actually go into a client's home and provide therapy in the client's home. Now it's commonly used to go into somebody's home and actually provide the intervention in their home. So, you know, in terms of that, like where where do you see treatment going from your perspective? So we've already shifted. So again, so I I mix a lot of spirituality in my practice now. Um, And so there are already healers that exist right now in this day and age that do so many virtual uh, healing sessions without even talking to the person. Just based on energy, right? There's, um, I've worked with like Reiki healers, which is uh, someone who works with like the chakras. Um, I've worked with shamans, like all these spiritual based um, healers that um, they can literally have, you can tell them, I've had experiences where you can tell them what's happening in your life. And they go off on a meditation and they do their thing and they work on healing your your aura, your energetic vibes. You're not doing a damn thing. Visualization, they take in what they see in you having the greatest idea you the outcome i wonder if the evolution i wonder if the evolution of treatment has um progressed as a result of getting more people to buy into treatment because the stigma that was once associated with treatment now sort of subsiding a little bit before it was like you go you go see a therapist you crazy which to me is extremely dismissive of a person totally dismissive but yeah. I, 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 you know, it seems like it's more commonplace, and people have, got, have gotten more open to having this discussion. And I don't know if there's a correlation between the fact that therapy is no longer traditional therapy, and there are these different models and different practices that people use now that get the same results. Yeah, yeah. There, I, I could say so much on this topic. I, I think that this is a personal opinion of mine. I, I think that, um, you know, I went the traditional route. I went to school, I got my master's, you know, I learned all the theories, all the things. And um, I, no idea is your own. Let's just go back to that, right? And so I, I think that a lot of times we get lost in the sauce of like, this is a professional. They went to school for this, this and that. So they know um, better or they, they can assess me or they can help heal me better. and. I'm not taking away from individuals like myself who got their degrees and worked really hard to do those things and got all the clinical hours. Um, Not taking away from that at all. But if we're going to this concept that no idea is our own, understand that our when I say spirituality, I mean connection to self. I I don't mean religion. I just mean how well do you know yourself and how well knowing yourself can you tap into source? Whatever that means to you, whether it's God, universe, whatever may have you. 
right? And so that's not religion. Religion is structured, right? This is just like your inner belief, your inner connection to self and to source, to light, right? And so for me, the only reason why textbooks, <laughs> reason why psychology exists is because someone else before us tapped into source and wrote it down on paper. Mm -hmm. Right. And if this information of source is available to all of us, because it is, do you really, you know, this could shake a lot of people's like, you know, do you really need an education to be what you're supposed to be in life? You know, listen, again, I do not take away from the degrees that I myself have acquired. Mm -hmm. You know, those are definitely things that have taught me and molded me to be the amazing person that I am today. Right. Um, but I've also learned the, the more scholarly information that I was seeking, the more that I found out that I already knew all these things internally without needing to look at it in a textbook. Mm -hmm. I want to say something real quick. <laughs> you touched something then Rob. <laughs> because we use the word education. Mm -hmm. And we think education is getting some information from the outside. From an institution. But the word educate Education comes from the word educate, which comes from the Greek word, you heard me say this before, shot, educare. It means to draw out, mm. not to take in. Mm. It's pretty much the process of reminding you what you've already known. Yes. So yes. That, so that yes. you can recognize that. We, oh, shit, I know, I know, I know that. Yeah. And yeah. it out and kind of just having you be like, Thank you. Then you know what? Sometimes that's all you need is someone to say something to spark that thought. Yes. That you, whether it's how deep it is, it'll yeah. find its place and then bring it out. So when I hear people say educate, taking nothing away from all you degree people. Correct. Correct. That because that's a work, time, money, and all mm -hmm. sorts of things that go into grabbing education. But education also comes from the thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%. There's, um, to me, I guess, like, the, the school aspect is for theory, right? Like, there are a lot of things that I learned in a textbook, but the actual practice is, is what makes you, you know, who, yeah, who, who you actually are. Like, there are some people that are wonderful, that they know the theories, you know, but when it comes to actually connecting and engaging with a client, they just don't have the ability to, um, to do it. Right. And it's almost like... Um, you know, it almost creates sometimes a hierarchy, I think, also for a lot of clients. Yeah. You know, that's why for, year, for years, you think about it, like, in particular for people of color, you know, most of our counseling, would, which wasn't probably viewed on a level of professional counseling, was through, like, from our pastors, from our clergy, whoever it was, they, they gave, uh, whether it was bereavement counseling, yep. marital counseling, whatever it was, they counseled yeah. around all of that stuff. And it wasn't from a theoretical framework. It was from, you know, this is a person that I trust and a person that I can connect with. Yeah. And, you know, for me, even going to school, I don't, I don't remember, maybe for you going to school, you may remember, but I don't remember much in terms of much emphasis placed on, on joining, like joining was important. And we spoke about it in terms of theory, mm. but it wasn't really like a whole, a whole bunch around how do you actually engage somebody as a human? You know, and I didn't go to I didn't go to social work school because um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, but the social worker thing was always, oh, you meet a person where they are. And to me, that was kind of like the extent of it of the joining intervention. Oh, you meet a person where they are, right? Mm -hmm. But let's 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 look behind us. So, how do you meet a person where they are if that person is somebody who has substance abuse issues? You know, 
you don't have substance abuse issues. It sounds good to say, you know, I'm going to meet you where you are. Yeah, yeah. Do you really relate? Like, are you empathic to that? Like, do you really, you know, and, and I think that, that that's where I think the school and peace kind of gets lost and there are a lot of people who hang their hat on credentials yes. you know i've seen videos of a lot of a lot of really a lot of really good therapists that you know the stuff that they do i'm like wait a minute that ain't in the textbook but the clients respond so well really really good to it so to me it's almost like you know you have to kind of let go of yeah. this whole formal thought around what it should be and go with what works yes you know? right. there right. are just things that work that people respond to Yes, and I liken it to imagine if it was a surgeon that came to you, you know, and was like, "Well, you know," or you see it all. You see it all the time when, um, when you see like these movies and everything, and people be like, "Oh man, we don't have the tools to save his life." So give me a pen real quick. I'm gonna create uh, a breathing tube for him or whatever it is, and people do it. In that moment, the dude that needs that is not saying, "Hold on, hold on." That's not in the textbook. They didn't <laughs> right. In medical school, that's you know, thing that this is the intervention that's going to save my life. And I kind of liken that to, you know, like people got to get away from the theoretical aspect of being a practitioner and who really works for the client. What does the client respond to? Yeah. My, so I'm going to add on to that, you know, this, my, my thought to that, and this might again serve some feathers, but if you think about it, and this could go for any profession, but I'm going to keep it to therapy. So that's what I, that's what I went into, right? If we have like a hundred people that are going to school to become therapists with good intention, because they want to help heal and they want to, you know, whatever. Right. And they find out that when they become therapists, it's just not for them, right? And they're not having good success or whatever it may have, even though, even though they had great intentions and they learned all the right strategies and theoretical concepts and all of those things, right? Um, you know, that's why for me, this is really more of a spiritual journey of like, I feel called to be a healer. I don't even personally like using the word therapist anymore because I don't utilize a lot even though i have so much you know knowledge in what i speak and you know all these concepts that i learned from school when i'm talking to someone like i really throw all those things away um and it took me a long time to really say that confidently i used to feel like a fraud to be really really honest um shortly after working with you shanon i went to go work for the private practice and I remember I was the youngest clinician and there was a room full of uh, therapists that were like, you know, I was, I don't know, maybe like 22 at the time and they were all like 40 plus, right? So they had great years of experience. They were really powerful therapists and we would go to our boardroom every Friday to have our, you know, assessments of like how the week went, whatever. And we would have to like showcase, uh, you know, our clients doing all the things. And I would get so nervous to talk because all of these clinicians who've been in the game for like 15 plus years um, or 10 plus years would have like, oh, I used, you know, Freudian theory da -da -da, on this client and it worked this way. And I'm over here like, I just asked them this and it worked. <laughs> you know, and then I'm like, I don't know what theory that came about from. And mm -hmm. I would feel so nervous, like a fraud, like an imposter. Um, right. until, until luckily my supervisor at that time, she was super spiritual. She was like, you just have a gift and you just have to own that. Like you don't have to back up your, what you did by by theory, if that's not what you did. And only until then did I have a little more courage to be like, oh, maybe this was just meant for what I'm supposed to be doing in life. Mm -hmm. And schooling got me here and I'm grateful for that. But schooling, like you said, Rob, just taught me what I already knew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a reminder um, because 
even from uh, subjects like math and science, when it's taught to you, you it clicks. And the reason why it clicks, when you start to learn mathematics, two and two is four, when it clicks, it's like, yeah, it does make sense. Like, how did I know that before? Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's what teachers do. Teachers, in my opinion, mm-hmm. they lead you or guide you to a point to where you can see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And once you see it for yourself, that's when you start to get your wings and you can probably take off from there. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's a great process, man. God bless you for what you do. <laughs> I've listened to some of the testimonies that some of the sisters have put, and you are waking up. You're waking up so many people, especially in a time like tonight, like today, where there's despair, there's dis- there's depression. People don't know where they're going to or fro. You know, like the phrase I, I used earlier, most people don't know that they don't know. So they're walking around and blind. And if you can impart some sort of knowledge or some information or some awareness to them, mm-hmm. man, you're doing a great service. So God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, isn't it ironic being real makes a person feel like a fraud? <laughs> right. <laughs> the irony of that. Well, yeah. Delisa, I have to say, I said it off camera, I'm, I'm extremely proud of you and it's amazing to see your growth professionally and um, and personally. And I'm, I'm proud to have called you a colleague. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you and I know your business will grow. Um, go ahead and plug your business, give your, your social media handles if people want to get in contact with you, yeah. if people want your coaching services. Yeah. Um, I'm going to write in the channel for that now too. So my Instagram handle is counseling. Uh, I spend most of my time there. Um, and yeah, if you ever want to get in contact with me, definitely give my page a look, feel my energy. If you feel like we could buy, I always say, if you, if you feel like we could be friends, Right. Then we would probably have a really good time healing together, Um, you know, and so that's pretty much what I do on my page. You will see me talking about everything, Uh, my kids, my my dog, going to obedience training, like just my everyday life update Mm -hmm. alongside trainings for psychoed and, you know, whatever may have you. Um, The most uh, recent thing that I have going on is my community calls. The next one being November 4th. Um, If you go to my Instagram page and you go to my the link in my bio, I have a link tree there. You could sign up for my free community calls. Um, It's a wonderful place where we connect once a month, every first Friday of the month. And um, we just have some pop and ask conversations, to be quite honest. Um, We have great, insightful, powerful conversations where we challenge the mind. I give you guys some education and um, you do with it what you wish. And we have uh, wonderful calls there. And if you want more information, you can always DM me. But all of my programs are, you know, on my page that you could read more about. And um, yeah. That's pretty much it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Elisa Edwards. Thanks again. Appreciate everybody. See you next week on the No Idea. Oh, before I let you go, you're you're like literally one of the only guests that actually grasped the concept of No Idea being original. So many, so many people struggle with that in part because I think of like their ego. Everybody wants to believe that they own something. I did this. And yeah. that, I created that. Not that you, not that somebody else had an idea at some point and a person took it and expanded on that. I don't know why for some people that's that's such a horrible thing that somebody had a thought, a concept, or idea, you mm. know, and they laid the foundation and then you came along, you added something to it and then somebody else added something to it yeah. and then somebody else added to it. That's yeah. a, just a weird thing. So thank you for grasping the concept of <laughs> No Ideas Original. Hey, just listen, before you go, what was that book that you was going to show up? Oh my God, yes, thank you. I have it right here. Hold on.
Here it is. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Um, Deepak Chopra. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, the Seven uh, Spiritual Laws of Success. Powerful book. So, so powerful. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody have a good evening. We'll catch you next week. Peace. Good, everybody. Peace.